It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family. Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing financial advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Call Doug, Linda, and Deborah at their office, 919-872-7000, with your financial planning questions. That's 919 919- Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. There was a, an article in the Wall Street Journal about uh, how some folks uh, need to figure out how to handle sudden wealth because they become too rich too soon. Did you see that article? Well, I saw that article. I thought it was really good at pointing out some of those general questions that we always get in the office of, what do I do now that I have this dilemma in front of me? Yeah, there's all kinds of clients we've seen through the years that have this dilemma. There are those that we call the uh, the blood money, the, the sudden inheritance, and the guilt that goes with it because it came from the death of a parent, and the child, the adult child, has received this large inheritance, Uh, there's all kinds of situations. Then there are those that have just accumulated a large, large amount, and suddenly they've lost their job, and a huge amount is on top of them. Now in a rollover or a large retirement plan. Or sold a business, the ones that have... But so often people fantasize about getting a life-changing windfall, but actually there are very few people who know how to make it last. And... Whether it's athletes or actress, actors and actresses or lottery ben, winners, lottery winners uh, the problem is that people need to have a game plan and learn from the mistakes that others have made. Yes, these life-changing windfalls uh, can just as quickly vanish. And this is, this is what advisors say that work with these suddenly wealthy uh, individuals. And... Um, well, what are some of the key, you know, well, I think what the, the biggest thing that needs to happen is to realize that you need a, a team of advisors. You need some serious help. You're going to have to answer a lot of questions, whether it's retirement, how to keep it, how to not spend it, how to not be taken advantage of, how to protect yourself against taxes. Those of us that are advisors, we realize that the first thing is buy some time, buy some time, go slowly don't go ahead and make sudden irreversible decisions because if you uh, become a sudden new millionaire and you make the mistakes, history says that most people who have fallen in that situation, they later regret it seriously. And so uh, there's, there's all kinds of, 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 of horror stories out there. There's one organization called the Sudden Money Institute. But really, 
the first thing I always tell clients is, let's go slowly, let's buy time, and think this thing through. There's a lot of emotion, and we have to get past the emotional area. So that's the first thing. What are some other strategies that, that advisors recommend, Doug? Well, after we've, after we've we, of course, you have to get an advisor. Now, to try and do it on your own, that's like trying to do brain surgery on yourself, you know, or scratch your own elbow. It just, it's, it's an impossible situation. Well, I mean, right with your right hand. Yes. Yeah, my right hand will scratch my left elbow, but my right hand can't scratch my right elbow. I don't and, know about that. <laughs> right. Some people but, might be able to do that. Okay, you got to have an advisor. If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind. You got to get an advisor and you have to have an advisor who is going to give you advice, not one who's going to try and sell you something. And then once you've got your advisor, that person, of course, should be a certified financial planner in education, should be a fee-based financial planner who is selling you advice by the hour, let's say. But the first thing after that is buy time, go slowly, and then count your money, lock it up. In other words, do a true analysis of how much there is before any important investment decisions. You've got to be able to go ahead and take an inventory of all of the assets, of course, the liabilities. We've got to go ahead and set uh, um, an expense allocation out there. Do we and need we, to think about taxes? We also want to make sure that Subtract we've taken care taxes. of taxes. Exactly. Uh You've got to have some sort of a workable estimate before you can go forward and even a realistic estimate of how long, how long it will last. So that's what I just call count your money. And once you have an advisor, isn't it usually a good idea to let that advisor be the one who might, so to speak, protect you from someone who's unscrupulous or um, asking you to invest in an investment to say, well, why don't you talk to my advisor? Right. The money needs to be placed in a safe uh, lockaway place, like a money market account, and then with the advisor running interference, all the, uh, the 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 sharks that are coming after you, that's the one that is directed. That that's where the advisor should be the the one who gets all the calls sent to him or her. You so know. Then the third it, thing isn't it important too that sometimes the temptation to help family members can be. Uh, something that you should be concerned about yeah you don't want to and it's unfortunate but as soon as you have won the lottery or received the inheritance or whatever the large sum is they come out of the woodwork all the problems of the family members and that's where it's crucial really to have the financial planner who can be the excuse, well, my, I need to run this by my financial planner because making loans or gifts or business ventures to family members, I've seen so many of those through the years. You have to, have to really uh, be very hard and think of yourself first. So we come then to the third thing, and the third thing is don't be a sucker. Don't be a sucker. You're going to be besieged by all of these don't miss, can't miss this is a slam dunk type of investment opportunity. Uh, let the advisor be the bad cop. Let the advisor be the one who 
who says, I'll research that investment. The temptation to go ahead and get into uh, some of these investments has to be resisted, just like the temptation to help out family members. So I would say that's the third thing. Don't be a sucker. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. But then the fourth thing has to be plan. Plan the estate. You know, right off the bat, you need to go ahead and understand that you've got income taxes. Uh, You want to double check your estate tax situation. You want to double check your will. Update any beneficiary designations. Want to make sure that you might have an ex-wife somewhere in the background or ex-husband who has children and that you're protected from anything like that coming up if something happens, God forbid, to you. You want to make sure that you don't unwittingly give your assets to someone that you don't intend to. One really good option, by the way, there is what we call a springing power of attorney, which doesn't take effect immediately, but springs into effect after you might have become incapacitated. Incapacitated, yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Another thing I like, of course, is the revocable living trust, uh, which does an even better job than the springing power of attorney. And so we have to be very careful uh, that our wills and our trust are up to speed. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. Then the last couple of things to do are to do your investing thinking long-term. Long-term conservative investments, and once it's all in place, have some fun. Carve out some of the fun things you want to do. When you've got it all laid out like that, then you're, you're okay, but be aware that the too rich, too soon, sudden wealth syndrome can be a recipe for disaster, and in most cases it is, so work with the advisor, a certified financial planner who can help you. And I think that in general can apply to even if we're not talking about the too rich, too fast, but just the richer than I've been before now group of people, for example, retirement plans. That's right. And um, even smaller amounts of inheritance, just anything that all of a sudden you do need some professional advice with. That's exactly right. And especially if you've sold a business, because exactly. once, uh, you know, here you are, you've, you've spent decades uh, taking care of the practice diligently, taking care of your employees, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, what has grown. Working, working with your planner, your advisor, to make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row, right? Because once the contract's been signed, and then when reality descends and you sign the papers then the headache's gone right doug (laughs) because now you can enjoy the fruits of your labor (laughs) but it is important to plan isn't it and work with a competent advisor that can assist you with answering your questions give you direction um as you uh are going into retirement as you're going into um enjoying these assets, and as you said, make sure you have fun along the way. Go ahead, get started. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919 
919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Let's take Mike's call. Hello, Mike, are you there? This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, Linda Lewis. How can we help you? Yes, Doug. I'm one of those who got into, got put into the annuities. My guy gave me, put me in three annuities, uh, and I have a question. I I don't know. I'm at 65. I'm set. I don't know what to do. All right. First of all, what's the, uh, on every statement that you get, it tells you what is the surrender value. So what's the surrender value of your three annuities? Uh, let's see, 41, 185. I think the three together are about 350000 All right, $350,000. Now, <clears throat> what that is, that is a contract between you and an insurance company. And let's assume that you die and have not, started to annuitize right then your uh it could go to your wife and it does not have a problem with no tax but if she doesn't do anything it goes to your children then there may be as much as a hundred thousand dollars in taxes gotcha all right uh if this was three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in mutual funds not in an annuity then it could be it could go with zero tax because the annuity is an insurance contract that actually does not qualify for step-up in basis. Now, knowing that you have this $350,000 in these three annuities, the question then comes, what should you do with them? I would say do not annuitize. Right. That's my question. Do not annuitize because when you annuitize, you are – I like to talk about chickens and eggs when I'm explaining investments in my office to clients – the investment itself is a chicken. So you've got a $350,000 chicken. The income is the eggs. When you annuitize, you are signing an agreement between yourself and the insurance company that says, I will give you, Mr. Insurance Company, all of my chickens. You give me a guaranteed stream of eggs. And when I die, you keep everything. You keep all my chickens. That's the annuitization. Oh, I'm glad I have not done that. <clears throat> and that's irreversible, by the way. Once you have done that, that is irreversible. Okay. Now, if you say, well, gee, my wife didn't get anything, then they will tell you, well, I'll tell you what we can do, Mike. If you want to have your wife get some of the eggs after you die, we'll give you a smaller stream of eggs while you're alive. And if you say, well, what about... uh I want her to have the same amount as myself. Then they'll say a smaller one. These are the different options that they have. But the biggest check that they'll give you is if you give them the right to keep all of it. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, DougAndLinda.com. So what should you do? You should more than likely tell me what the rest of your investment portfolio is, and I think I know where you should go. But tell me the rest of your portfolio. What do you have? You said you're all right. You're 65 years old. 65. I have real estate, uh, a couple houses, and uh, everything's paid for. All right. Uh, do you have anything in any investment accounts of your own? Any mutual funds, CDs, cash, or anything like that? Uh, cash. I've got cash, some cash, and. Uh, a, few, a little a mutual fund. All right. About how much do you have in those two categories total? Probably 
65000 All right. How about anything in retirement accounts, IRAs or 401ks or retirement accounts? None. Okay. The real estate you have, how much is in the real estate? Probably three, probably 600000 600000 in real estate, and this is not your residence. This is income-producing real estate. Uh, no, it, it's really houses that I'm, I'm, I'm going to move into, and yes, they will become income-producing, yes. Okay, these are investments. Yes. Actually, what I recommend is that you call my office and set up an appointment to meet with me because there are several options. I, what I'd like to see you do is to roll or come out of the annuities to where you have the 350000 available. I'd like to then start to build an investment portfolio of the portion of the houses that you're able to. I'd like to see how the whole thing comes together to protect both you. How old is your wife? 63. All right. Uh, has she started Social Security yet? Yes. Good. She's disability. I am also. All right. What is the what's the combined income you're getting on the two Social Securities? Probably twenty seven hundred dollars a month. Twenty seven hundred a month. And hold on one second. He's doing some calculations. <laughs> Thank you. Did so let me look, ask you a question. Go Did ahead. Ask the person him. that sold you these insurance no 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 they were given by his his father remember oh no no, no i'm sorry I'm, i misled you then they were uh, uh it was a financial planner <laughs> a financial planner <laughs> led me to this individual to this product yes oh yes i guess i'm what i was wondering was did the did the financial planner ever disclose to you how much they were paid when they no when yeah. they did the, the transaction. Re, yeah, the, the reason annuities are so popular, and, and there's a saying in the industry that says uh, annuities are not purchased, they're sold. Yes. Uh, because they are. They're one of the highest commission products. They can be as much as 8%. So on $300,000, that could be $24,000 of commissions. But what I was going to say is you could design an investment portfolio with the 350000 that would give you about $1,500 a month. And still have your chickens intact. Oh, that would be great. Add that to your disability income, and then I'd like to go ahead and look at those uh, investment how those rental houses and see how that comes together. If you will call my office, I don't know. Did you have a chance to write that number down? I did. Okay, good. Nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. Great. And we will set up a time to get together with you, Mike. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Now, right. did you need to uh, speak with our engineer one more time? That would be good for us. Okay. All right. So stay right, on the thank line. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for calling in. Thank you very much. All, All right. right. Have a wonderful week. Thanks. Thanks for calling. Well, Doug, another interesting article was, was about the pitfalls of investing in your employer. What about that? I was so happy to hear that that subject is now becoming a popular topic in the financial presses. You know, for many years, I've been the bad guy telling clients that come into our office, never invest in your own company. And you know, the article, and it was, it was a Wall Street Journal article, and it began by talking about the stupid investments that people can make out there in the world. And then it went right on to say, but the most foolish investment of all may be right in front of you. And there's a worrying chance that you are buying it. And, of course, it went on to say that investment was stock in your own employer. 
And I've been telling people that for so long, it almost sounds like a broken record. I don't know why people don't get the message, but yes, indeed, employees are still investing in the, the stock of their own companies. Uh, actually, between 16 and 19% of the 401k plans that are out there are, uh, are, 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 are invested with, well, let me say it the other way. The 401k plans right now are showing between 16 and 19% of the uh, holdings of, of the holdings being the stock of the employer. I mean, if you work for IBM, if you work for uh, uh, Cisco, Jackson, if you AT&T. work for uh, any company, you should never have any stock in your own company. And I always like the logic you use behind it, which is you've been the employee, you've received your paycheck, you've been loyal, in other words, you've worked, and now you've gotten paid for it, take your money and invest it somewhere else. Right, Deborah. Now you need to reinvest in Don't the Don't give it back to your employer. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> You take the money that you received and you go invest it now. That's exactly right. I and you know, the logic, Deborah, is this. You've already got a very big investment in your own employer. You work there. If you're hoping to work there for some time, it may be the biggest investment in your entire portfolio. All the time, 40 hours a week, right. 52 weeks a year, 20 years and so forth. And there are legions and legions of workers who made the hugest mistake by doing exactly what they should never do. And they became two-time losers. They lost their job. And they lost their retirement plan that had the stock of the company in it. The employer collapsed. They lost their incomes. They lost their savings. You know, just think of the companies. Think of the employees at Enron. Right, absolutely. WorldCom. One of the saddest stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about Bank of America? Terrible. Citigroup. And I think a lot of people mistake loyalty for, I'm going to get rich off my company. (laughs) You're going to be the last to know if something goes wrong. You'll be the last to know. They do not know. No company, when it's in difficulty, sends out a notice to the employees saying, by the way, we're about ready to lay off huge numbers or getting ready to go under. It doesn't work that way. And so buying stock in your own employer is a no-no amongst those of us that are in the know. And that's what I think a lot of people forget is that employees buying company stock think that they will have some influence over how it does. You know, if I'm a better employee, if we collectively are better employees, our stock is going to go up or down. And no matter how hard you work, you won't have any real material effect on the share price. No, not not at all. And quite frankly, even the CEOs themselves, if you you check insider money, you will find out that most of them, when they get their stock, they turn around and they sell it. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919 872 7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation. Call me at 919 872 7000. I heard someone say that your house is your biggest investment. Yeah, it was probably Isn't that a, re- a false. Well, statement the person according who made that, to financial planning principles. The person who made that statement was probably a real estate broker. Po- probably, possibly. Or very. I mean, that's very common language from people who are trying to make sales of homes. But no, a home is not 
an investment, we have to come back to what is the definition of an investment. And before you get to an investment definition, you have to come down to everything on your financial statement is either going to be one of two items. It could be on the left or the right. What are those two items, Deborah? An asset or a liability. Exactly. There's only two kinds of things on your financial statement, assets what and liabilities. And what assets are what you own. Liabilities are what you owe. What you owe. Then you come your down debts. to those assets. And they break into two categories. There's only two kinds of assets. Use assets and investment assets. assets. All assets are either use assets or investment assets. So now we come down to, well, what's an investment asset? An investment asset is something that you buy that you want to go ahead and later sell or you buy it because it's going to help support you or you buy it for investment. And actually, there is risk when you are involved in the world of investments. So investments are things that you buy that you know have risk attached to them. Therefore, investing for your future. A use asset is something you buy because you want to use it. Your automobile. Automobile is a use asset. Your home is a use asset. Your jewelry is a use asset. All those you buy because you want to use them. Personal property. If you buy yourself that motorcycle, you don't really concern yourself if when you go to sell it, five years later, you sold it for less than you paid for it because you had the enjoyable use out of it. And the same with a home. A home actually is a physical thing that is depreciating. That's why pieces of real estate can sometimes even give you depreciation. It's being used up. It's a use asset. It is not an investment asset. And unfortunately, many people get very confused calling their investment portfolio uh, or having their investment be uh, their home be one of the biggest things in their investment portfolio. And you're exactly right, Linda. Homes are not investments. Well, thanks for clarifying that. You're listening to Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF with Doug and Linda and Deborah Lewis. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Call me at 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Let's take Jerome's call. Jerome, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? I love your show. Appreciate the work you all do for us and this video for so many years. Can you hear me okay, Doug? A little louder. Yeah, go ahead. Try it again. I'm on a cell phone with a bad connection. Is this any better? Uh, that's better, yes. All right. My question is, I was listening to the show earlier. My question is, uh, which of well, I'm a retired senior uh, and say financially stable, uh, but with a large windfall about to be received? A seven-figure windfall, matter of fact. Actually, I want to set up uh, or prepare for the for the college education of my five grandchildren. They range from 14 years old to four months old. I think about setting up a trust and employing the child. I'll be the guarantor of the trust. Make the parents the uh, what the uh, trustees of the trust, and the child the beneficiary of the trust, and the payee's child is the beneficiary of the trust. Uh, for working, for doing some work, that each child $500 a month. Well, it, 
yeah, it, it, that's that's not that's not bad. Uh, it's not going to address the major issue of the you know seven figures that you know you can't go ahead and get that kind of money into a child's R, uh, Roth. But what you may be interested in, Jerome, and we have had one of uh, two of these in the last couple of weeks in our office where clients have desired to set up what we call a children's trust. And a children's trust, which can also be a grandchildren's trust, can work in such a way that you design it so that they get either a fixed dollar amount up until certain ages, and then a piece of the corpus, let's say 100000 or 200000 goes out when each one of them reaches, let's say, age uh, 35 or 40 or 45 You can design, and when we do these in our office, Jerome, we put a lot of little special uh, bells and whistles according to what the client wants for each of the grandchildren. Uh, Now, you, you can do that. You can make it either a living trust or you can make it a testamentary trust. The one you're describing is a living trust. And and, uh, without getting too complicated over the air, there are pros and cons of doing it with a living trust or a testamentary trust. If all of the grandchildren don't choose to go to college, you you may want to come up with a backup plan as to, well, if I have a pot of a million dollars and it needs to provide an education for... Ages four months to 14 years. 14, yeah, exactly. So if it needs to provide education for five grandchildren over different time frames, what you're going to want to do is probably keep the million intact and have it be available to each child as they go to college. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Yeah, I understand. I understand this is much too complex to... to uh, well, there is one thing on the paying of the child. Yeah, and, and I... And I yeah, there is one thing. Yeah, there is one one thing I didn't touch when we talked about employing the children. The wages paid to the child must be reasonable for the services performed. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is one of the tests. That's one of the tests that is there. But uh, Jerome, I'd love to meet with you if you uh, have been to our website. Then, of course, you know. If not, go to our website. DougAndLinda.com. If you'd like to schedule a time to come on in and meet with us, I'd love to go ahead and show you how we can put some real bells and whistles on trying to achieve what you're doing to, what you're looking to achieve. I think it would be very, it'd be a fun plan to get into. How how old did you say you were, Jerome? I'm 68. Okay. And are you married? No, no. Uh, Long, 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 long ago divorce. Oh, okay. So you're single. And... You have your grandkids. And so are you retired now? Yes, retired and disabled. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. But, uh, well, there are five grandkids, as I said, about 14 years down to four months. And the reason for this test, the four months and the four-year-old, uh, they have a hard time just about paying them $500 a month because the work would not pay. Yeah. <laughs> Right, but I yeah. think I think I, I've got some other ideas that are running around in my head. Uh, yeah, I'd like to meet with you, I'll Jerome. Make a, I'll make an appointment. The one other thing, let me say this while you move on, some other so pass another caller. All right, thank you so much. Yeah, Jerome, give us a call at nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. And thank you so much for calling, Jerome. You have a wonderful week. 
You know, I appreciate Jerome's responding to that issue. And of course, there is always the question when you're talking about doing Roths for children, there's also for college uses, there's also the question of, well, what about 529 plans? And compared to the 529 plan, the Roth IRA offers more flexibility in that it's not required to be uh, used for college, uh, whereas the 529 does have uh, more control. There are pros and cons of each of them. And quite frankly, we do all of them in our office. We recommend 529s in some cases. Want to be very careful about the 529 plans because they very often have certain uh, restrictions on what kinds of investments that you can use. Some of the 529s I've seen state by state, I dislike very well, much. In addition, they're, they're also just restricted for qualified college expenses. That's so right. You've, whether or not the child ends up going to college or that particular type of educational route, you know, route it, might, it might not qualify. Um, 529s are are definitely there uh, and available. Roths are, I think we were we were referencing them in comparison to. But um, yeah, depending on the client, in some cases I like the five twenty nines. Others I really do not. The five twenty nine gives know, you control because you can take the money back out again. It's yours. You know, and I've got to back into it and just say, you know, a lot of times saving for college doesn't put mean putting stuff into a college saving fund. It doesn't Sometimes have to be a UTMA you, or UGMA account, right? Well, that adds a whole nother level. I wasn't even thinking of that. But what I was really thinking was is sometimes you don't want to let the tax tail wag the dog. And there may not be a need to have a tax deferred account to save for college. And I guess it's, you know, it's it's again backing into it saying, well, you can often just save for the child's college and not have it have a tax advantage to it. Exactly. Each person's situation is going to be very different. And. Isn't it true that some of our clients have, um, what some of our clients have done is earmark Correct. dollars in a particular account for the use of college. the child's college expenses, whether or not, you know, some children are so bright that they're going to get a scholarship and they don't need that money. So you can keep that for your retirement. You know, Linda, I really like the fact that you're bringing up this point because I like if at all possible, I like to have the client keep control. And But by the same token, as you said, we can earmark a certain investment, a mutual fund, let's say, of a client, and we could put a name on it. We call it it's designated for college expenses for my children Abby. or my grandchildren or for Abby or whatever. On the other hand, if Abby decides that she wants to be a groupie running around the country following the, the latest rock band and everything, then God bless Abby, but I'm going to have the money for my client's retirement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll add another level to that. Even aunts and uncle will, uh, uncles will often say, I don't really want to give up control. I'd like to help the kids, but just in case, I need this for my own retirement. And so they are sometimes motivated to not contribute to a 529 or a Roth IRA or an UPMA or an UGMA and just keep control. So there's a balance as there is in everything between what you want to give up and what you want to gain. And I guess the most important thing is make sure you're saving. That's right. You know, Get in the habit. 
That's right. So if, if, if you're saving for the child's college expenses and you have further questions in regard to whether or not it's a 529 where you should be placing it, an UPMA account, or outright and just held in your name, give us a call during the week at 919-872-7000. And of course, those clients that come to visit us this coming week, we will again be giving free books to you if it's your first appointment, either the book called Your Money Matters because your financial future is at stake, or middle class millionaire, <laughs> or the wealthy barber, or the wealthy barber, or, or simple wealth, inevitable wealth. There, there we go. go. All right. So we have books for you if you're coming to see us this week. Well, Doug, you've been telling more and more people about the need for a financial roadmap. And what exactly do you mean by that? Well, Lynn, you know, a financial roadmap is really, it's a crucial item. The financial plan itself, a financial plan document, is or should be a financial roadmap. And no one would try and take a journey from here to Alaska or here to uh, Wisconsin without a roadmap. The same way, you should have a roadmap. And the financial plan should be a roadmap that has different style and uh, from different planners and so forth. But no matter how it is uh, stylized, it should definitely have at least 13 sections that it covers. And the first section of a financial plan should be your personal data section. It should include all the personal information about you, your kids, your parents, all the personal family data, if you've been married before. But the personal data section should be the first section of your financial plan. Exactly. And each area should be addressed to the extent that it suits a person's personal situation. So uh, along with the personal data, the second element of a financial plan would be a person's goals and objectives. Right, Doug? Right. That's um, very crucial. People sometimes need to just sit down and think about what are our goals, you know, whether you're married or single or if you're a widow or whatever your situation is. You have certain goals and objectives for your life. So you need to sort of think about those things and have some priority and some desired time frame. But a lot of people just say, I, I don't know. They've never really put their goals down. Exactly. When do I want to be financially independent? When do I want to retire? What about educating my children? What about my cash flow? What about my, my credit cards and so forth? Uh, but the third section of a financial plan should be the, the issues and problems section. This section should be an identification of the areas that are problem areas like college education cost or taxes. A financial plan should analyze the taxes, the cost to educate your children, major illnesses in the past, or any other factors that may develop into a problem. Sometimes the client knows them. Sometimes the planner identifies them. But they should be put into a separate section in the plan called issues and problems area. The fourth element of a person's financial plan should be assumptions that are used in the plan preparation. And that would include such issues as inflation, investment growth, mortality rates, and other material assumptions that would be included within the financial plan. Right, Doug? Right, Lynn. For a financial plan to really work as a roadmap, those first four sections, the personal data section, the goals and objectives section, the issues and problems section, and the assumptions section are the ones the plan is built on. Now, starting with the fifth section, we should get into the numbers, and the fifth section should be the net worth section or the financial statement or the balance sheet of the client. That should be an analysis which includes all of the client's assets, that's everything they own, all of their liabilities, that's everything they owe, and then a calculation of what they're worth, and it should have different backup schedules to these, and then 
presumably it should have some comments by the financial planner about how the financial statement looks. What does it look? Does it look good, bad compared to other people and so forth? So that's the fifth section of a financial plan, the balance sheet or net worth analysis section. And if you need advice, call me during the week. 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. The sixth element or the sixth section of a financial plan should include your cash flow management. And this would include any statements or analysis that describes or details the sources of your income. Where's all your income coming from and where's it all going? What are you spending all this money that's coming in for? This is vitally important within the plan, right, Doug? Well, the sixth section is the most important section to most people, the cash flow section, because this says, just as you said, it's everything coming in that you're making, it's everything going out that you're spending, and whether you have excess or shortfall. If you have more coming in than going out on your expenses, then how do I invest it? How do I use it to get the other goals met? If I have a shortfall, how do I budget myself to get back in line But the cash flow section should have a detailed analysis of the cash flow and then recommendations by the financial planner. And this is usually the section that really needs a lot of attention for people that are planning on retirement or young couples that have high income, whatever the problem may be. And some people just don't, they don't ever look at, they know it's coming in and they know it's going out and they never track what's going out, but... Nobody's ever analyzed the living expenses. Yeah, you need to put the brakes on and, and look at it, right, Doug? Yeah, that's right, Lynn. Now, that's the sixth section. Got any idea what the seventh section would be? Taxes. You're right. The seventh (laughs) section should be taxes. There should be a section on income taxes, Uh which should be an analysis of all the income taxes for a certain period of years that are projected. Uh, In my financial plans, I do four years ahead of time, a four-year projection, but it should be a projection of income taxes. It should show the nature of the income, whether it's fees, commissions, whether it's a portfolio income, passive income, and so on. Uh, and then it should show the marginal tax brackets. And then it should show uh, what ifs and then recommendations, what to do about the income taxes to make sure you're paying the least amount necessary and with the best tax benefits. We're talking about the financial roadmap that most people should address or should look at and the 13 elements of a financial plan document that a person should look for if they are working with a financial planner or thinking of doing so, right? Yeah. The eighth element of a financial plan should include your risk management or your insurance. People need to find out whether or not they're adequately insured. And this section would be an analysis of your financial exposure relative to mortality and morbidity, your liability and your property, including your business if you own one. And it should list and it should analyze your current policies that you have and problems that may include but may not be limited to the need for life insurance, disability, medical and health insurance, property and casualty, and liability and business as well. Long-term nursing care, all kinds of insurance coverages. Analysis, are you properly insured? Do you have too much or too little insurance? And do you have the right kind of insurance? The ninth section of a financial plan to really work as a roadmap has to be investments. That should be a listing of all the current investment portfolio, uh, which investments you should keep, which ones you should uh, liquidate, reposition. There should be a liquidity analysis of your investment portfolio, a diversification analysis, an investment risk exposure analysis. It should include your risk tolerance, 
your ability to understand different investments, and all kinds of things in the investment section. That's the ninth section of a good financial plan. The tenth section of a financial plan should include financial independence, retirement planning and education, and other special needs. People that are working usually have a plan that one day they don't want to be working anymore. They want to be golfing or traveling or whatever. So this section of your plan would be an analysis of the capital that you would need at some future time to provide for your specific needs. And this analysis should include a projection of the resources that are expected to be available to meet these needs at that time. So if it's retirement planning, how much do you need to accumulate to be able to support you at that time of your life? If it's college funding, how much will you need to educate your baby 18 years from now when they start college, right? Very crucial, yes, to be able to be financially independent. If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, call us, set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. The last section of the financial plan is the estate section. It should identify the assets in your estate Analyze how much taxes are going to be paid or due on a state uh, at the time that you die. What about probate cost? All the things in your estate and uh, to make sure it's going to happen the way you want it to happen should be in that section. And, you now, know, Doug, I, I wanted to say something here. People may not realize it, but this is this section, the estate planning section is so important, especially if you're working with an attorney. Right, Doug? Because when you're working with a financial planner that's helping you analyze your estate, your financial planner generally will have the current value of the estate, whereas your attorney may not Rarely, rarely do attorneys have any of the numbers. You should never do a financial plan th- estate section with an attorney until you've met with a financial planner first, and they should be a team working together. I will say there's two other sections in a financial plan to work as a good roadmap. One is the recommendation section. It should have clear recommendations for each of the sections, And then lastly, there should be an implementation schedule, Lynn, of what to do when. What do I need to implement in each of these sections and and an action list? If these 13 sections are there, then you have a real financial roadmap that will get you to the place you want to be. Write down some of the questions that you have, and certainly if there's anything we can do to assist you with this, we'd be happy to do so. And that number here in Raleigh is 8727000. USA 7000. And I believe we have another caller. Doug, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Uh, my question concerned uh, a sole proprietorship versus uh, incorporating. Uh-huh. I own a business. i got about a six-year-old business that uh, has been growing relatively steady. And aside from liability, what, what are the advantages of uh, incorporating? Well, tell me a little bit about yourself, Doug. How old are you? 31. You're 31. You married or single? Married. Married. Any children? Two. Two children. And these children are living at home? Yes. All right. Uh, what's your income? Uh, tough, tough to say. I mean, we gross and we'll probably gross uh, 1.2 this year business-wise. You're grossing $1.2 million. How much is your net on... Right now, you're a sole proprietorship? Yeah. All right. What is it on your Schedule C? Uh, around a little over 100 All right. So you're coming home with 100000 that you're bringing over to the front page of your tax return. Right. All right. Is your wife working or is she not working? Not working. 
All right, so you've got a hundred thousand take home pay, and what are your living expenses running? Uh, average, I'd say four a month. About forty eight thousand. All right, so if we're spending, we'll say fifty thousand a year before taxes, and then taxes are, are going to be covering what about thirty thousand? Yeah. All right, so if taxes are taking out another thirty thousand. Before I go to the corporate structure, let me take a look at what do you have working for you. What do you have in the way? Do you have any retirement plan at all? Uh, no. No retirement plan. All right. How about in personal investment assets? How much do you have in cash and liquid assets? Seventy-five to a hundred. Seventy-five to. That's all in, in just cash and money market, not invested. Well, that's not including what's invested in the uh, company itself. Yeah. Why are you sitting with so much cash? Uh. Excuse me? Why are you sitting with so much cash just in money market? That's not making anything for you. Because well, I'm an idiot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need a financial right. planner. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you have invested in investments like mutual funds, stocks, bonds, etc.? cetera? Uh, out of that, probably 35. Oh, all right. So I misunderstood you. So 35000 is in mutual funds? Uh, stocks. Is in stocks. And that seventy-five then isn't all in cash. No, it's, no, no. It's the forty-five that's in cash. Right. Okay. Anything in bonds or bond funds? No. Okay. Anything in limited partnerships? No. Annuities? No. So this is the only investment you've got—the thirty-five thousand stocks. Correct. If you want to accumulate enough to be financially independent, call me, Deborah Lewis, at nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. Okay, uh, and no retirement plan at all in your company, and your sole proprietorship. Correct. Well, as far as the business itself, there are three major or four major distinctions. You can become a partnership, and you say a partnership with another individual? Excuse me? Your question is what, the difference between corporations and partnerships? Or corporations? Well, well, a partnership and a sole Sole proprietorship are relatively the same thing. That's exactly right. So, right. and that's what I was going to ask. Do you do have a partner? Uh, well, yeah, I do. So it's oh, there's a another. Temper, it's a ten percent ordeal. So it's, it's not. All right. Well, you can go ahead and form a corporation because you're right. A partnership is going to basically give you uh, simply a pass through, so it's not going to have any effect one way or the other. You can go to a corporate st uh, strategy, though, and you could become a C corporation, which is a normal corporation, and that will give you certain benefits. Number one, it will let you set up a uh, a pension plan. Although, by the way, how many employees do you have? Uh, right now, in including the uh, other guy, we're looking at 14. 14 employees. All right. You could set up a pension plan uh, with a corporation that could be funded from corporate assets. You could go ahead and uh, and also do one thing in a corporate, and there's some benefits that you can add to the employees if you choose to. You can also set up types of retirement plans that exclude certain employees. The main feature, and, they, and there used to be a lot of concern about what they call the uh, liability issue, but puncturing the corporate shield is pretty easy these days. Uh, a, a lawsuit against you, in most cases, if indeed there's liability, it's going to be able to, there'll be a way to come through at you. So I don't uh, usually focus too much on the, uh, what is the nature of your business, by the way? Uh, contracting. Like? Electrical contracting. Of course, and you've got insurance. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. The major advantage of the of the corporation is that for tax purposes, you can buy unlimited amounts of tax shelter investments in C corporations. Mm-hmm. That's the major feature. If your income is only a hundred thousand, however, I you couldn't get any more benefit than what you could get personally. Right. The negative side of the corporate structure is that you have to keep two sets of books. Mm-hmm. You've got to file two separate tax returns. And so uh, I'm not sure it will work to your benefit that well. Uh, what's, what's the cutoff there? Which cutoff? Uh, what's the cutoff? I mean, at what point do you uh, would you suggest incorporating? Well, when you're starting to make more money. Well, I mean, I mean, in other words, if you were if you were bringing in three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand, right. yeah, then I would say, well, golly, if you've got three hundred thousand dollars and you're looking at trying to reduce your taxes, okay, then you're limited by what you can do. But on the other hand, the corporation could really wipe out a big hunk of those taxes and own the investments itself. I understand. And if we can be of more assistance to you, you can call me at the office during the week. And the number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Well, I appreciate the help. Well, you're sure welcome. Thank you, Doug. All right, bye-bye. Appreciate you calling. Well, that's all the Money Matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week, and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.